Welcome to episode three of the BitBlock Boom podcast. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and the producer of the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference. Just for reference, I also host the Crypto Cousins podcast, the Railroaded podcast, and the 4-Minute Crypto Show. You should be able to find those podcasts wherever you're listening to this podcast, iTunes, Google, wherever it is. Now, in August, I'll host another Big Block Boom Bitcoin conference in Dallas, Texas, with the help of some of my friends. If you have an interest in Bitcoin, you really need to visit bitblockboom.com and look at the great speaker lineup and all the events that are going on around BitBlockBoom. BitBlockBoom is a Bitcoin conference, and I really do mean a true Bitcoin conference. If you use the code COUSINS, that's C-O-U-S-I-N-S, when purchasing your conference tickets, you'll receive 30% off the price of this year's event. On today's episode, I'm bringing you another session from the first BitBlockBoom conference that was held in 2018. This episode features a session by Michael Goldstein, who's also known as Bitstein. In case you're not familiar with Michael, he's the administrator of the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute and co-host of the Noted Podcast. Today's session by Michael is titled, Everyone's a Scammer. This was a great session. I'm sure you're going to enjoy listening. This uh, talk is about Bitcoin maximalism and my particular take on what that means and how I think people um, can better understand uh, this position. It's uh, building on an article of mine I wrote back in 2014 um, that I still think uh, describes everything that is held up today. It's called Everyone's a Scammer. Uh, it's available on my website, nakamotoinstitute.org. So uh, this uh, talk is dedicated to Jerkos who was the first person to, to demand Bitcoins for a real good. He sold, uh, he scammed uh, Laszlo out of 10,000 Bitcoins for uh, two pizzas. So uh, my hat's off to him. So I tend to think that like, everyone is some kind of maximalist because we're all in this technology because we have some uh, big vision about how the world could be. However, these are uh, competing many of them uh, opposed in some ways um, while overlapping in others. Um, we have many payments maximalists who will tell you that the, the important thing is like, that we can get all of the uh, economic trade onto, onto one chain, like every single transaction going down from you know, uh, a, Sot a Satoshi transfer to uh, a, a billion dollar real estate deal. Um, we have platform maximalism, which is every app, every software app needs to be a decentralized uh, application that's built on the on the blockchain, whether that's you know the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain. Then there's monetary maximalism, which is saying we want the chain to be the fundamental basis of global economic trade, where all economic trade is denominated in the units that make up that chain. So it's important to ask yourself. Uh, if I could have nothing out of this thing, what am I here for? For me, the answer is simple. It's sound money. I am a monetary maximalist, and what matters to me is that we can establish a global sound money um, that no one can control, no individual can control, rather, um, as we learned from uh, Pierre's talk, um, and that I basically effectively want to put the Federal Reserve out of business so we can have a better money than what they've been able to provide. Well, things like Visa and PayPal, which uh, we have, there's, there's many ways you can uh, critique their business practices. 
there any any effects on them is incidental. I I want payment networks both centralized and decentralized um, that can fulfill what people need um, in their economic journey. And things like Lightning Network and and other tech that give us cool smart contracts and payment platforms and all of these, these are fantastic and I do think that they add value to um, what we can do with Bitcoin, but ultimately it's just simply the fact that we have this scarce economic resource that we can denominate all global trade in, that is enough. So, um, the important thing here is, is uh, understanding monetary competition. And monetary maximalism, um, the sort of brand of, of Bitcoin maximalism that I promote, is often is often thought to be a sort of uh, prescriptive, uh, 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 you know, uh, argument against uh, like how the world ought to be. That is, like that I think that there should be no competition. We should just have Bitcoin, and any no one should try anything else. I am one hundred percent for monetary competition. However. I would argue that the uh, realities of monetary competition are that one will dominate uh, the rest in a free market because the more people that use a particular medium of exchange, the more economic opportunities that you can actually seize with those. Um, and it, it makes it uh, more annoying to have to do trade with someone from another country uh, if they're using a different currency because you have to go through the process of uh, trading for those uh, different currencies before you can even get to the actual trade itself. If everyone's just using the same money, uh, it makes this much easier. Um, and I believe that because of the properties that Saifedean described in his talk, Bitcoin has the optimal uh, monetary policies and properties um, that make it the most uh, likely to uh, become this global dominant reserve currency. So because of this, my arguments for monetary maximalism are a sort of acceptance of just how monetary competition operates, rather than saying um, Bitcoin must be the thing. I think that Bitcoin will be the thing because I understand monetary comp competition. However, if you come to uh, share that belief, there's going to be implications for uh, what that belief means in terms of how you act in the world. So, um, let's imagine that Bitcoin does become the global dominant currency in a process we might call hyper-Bitcoinization, and it goes to the moon. You know, bears tend to think that it might only be, you know, $10 million uh, worth in today's purchasing power, but it's, it's, un it's untold what it could potentially be. Therefore, if you hold Bitcoins now, it could be worth an unfathomable, unfathomable amount of uh, money in the future, and that's holding it is this extreme test on your time preference and personal values. Like, you know, if uh, you could have, if you have, you know, a certain number of bitcoins in the future, you could own the world, so to speak. You can buy anything you want, um, but it requires holding for a long time, and it requires like actually knowing what you want so that you can uh, withstand that test. Um, so there is no correct answer because everyone has their own. Uh, personal time preferences and values um, and such, but there are a lot of ways in which um, people can um, scam you on these grounds and that you can get, you can uh, maybe not live up to your uh, potential because you, misunder you, you underestimate uh, how you can uh, make use of your preference and values.
So one of the most common ones is the idea that uh, spending bitcoins is somehow good for the network. Um, under the um, it, the argument is that uh, when you spend, you're sort of uh, creating more economic activity. You're helping grow the network, so like more people are accepting it. So that's great. Like there's um, as opposed to just holding, which uh, increases demand for uh, the bitcoins, which increases the price, which creates that juggernaut that Saifedean was explaining. Now, in the beginning of the network, spending actually did kind of help help Bitcoin. Um, when when people like me saw the Silk Road had people spending bitcoins for um, to purchase drugs. Um, Online, which uh, to the libertarian and you know was it was a very exciting prospect for uh, the future of like uh, free markets. Um, it, it was very good at, at showing us what Bitcoin was capable of, and that was very good for bootstrapping. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily tell us uh, that we ought to go uh, buy drugs ourselves. We might want to hold off. If you like drugs, you can afford a lot more drugs later on if you just hold. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, as I said, it's actually when you when you hold, that has more of an effect on the growth of the network by um, increasing liquidity um, in in the network. When a merchant wants your bitcoins, they really they're just trying to take your money and and give you something for it, but. It's not the fact that you're spending bitcoins that's helping the network. It's because if a merchant is demanding bitcoins, it means they themselves want to use it as a store of value um, or their own medium of exchange for uh, you know whatever business purposes they have. And thus, that's that side of the equation is what's more uh, sort of growing the network. But you actually dishodling. Um, it does not have that uh, same effect. In fact, if you uh, refuse to hodl, it means the merchants have to do more to get those uh, bitcoins out of you, which means, like we said, the price of bitcoin is going up. So this actually brings up a, a very important distinction um, that a lot of people have failed to make, which is understanding the difference between medium of exchange and method of payment. A medium of exchange is simply a good that you purchase for the purpose of indirect exchange, something that you, you buy for no other reason than because later on you can sell it to someone else to receive a good. Method, on, a method of payment, on the other hand, is merely the way that you're transferring this good. So when you use Visa, you're swiping your card um, as a way to somewhere on a ledger move uh, where those, you know, that, that, that dollar uh, ownership is going. So it's it's uh, it's a separate concept, but people often say that um, well, you need to spend your bitcoins because that's using bitcoin as a medium of exchange. If we understand medium of exchange purely as as a means for uh, as a good that you buy for the purposes of um, indirect exchange, you can think of uh, store of value as purchasing that good uh, in order to make a future exchange. Unless you're trading the uh, present value of a good for the future value of good. So if you're buying bitcoins today, it's because you believe uh, bitcoins will be worth more in the future and you can get more out of it. Um, store value is colloquially uh, 
a, a longer period of time, but it's effective. It can be any period of time. So in this sense, store of value itself is, is not quite um, distinct from medium of exchange. So if someone is trying to get you to um, miss out on future gains from your Bitcoins that you may actually want on the basis that um, you're not using it as a medium of exchange, the fact that you're using it for future exchange, whether it's um, future in a week, future in a year, or future in many generations down the line, you're still using it as a medium of exchange. So then we get to the, the um, idea of like basically competing currencies um, or, or making any sort of uh, investment in the crypto space uh, more specifically uh, as opposed to just in general. But um, when you believe that hyper-Bitcoinization is going to happen um, or has a very high chance, and that's part of uh, what drives your investment decision in Bitcoin, any investment, other investment that you make needs to be uh, priced in Bitcoin. The returns need to be looked. If I only held Bitcoins, how did my investment do uh, compared to that? And so far, the track record is mostly pretty terrible. Um, we have an endless graveyard of altcoins who have um, you know, died over the years. Um, that being said, some of them do very well in the short term. So for instance, in my original 2014 article, I, this was before Ethereum had come out, and I actually was not so sure that Ethereum would actually be a real working network. And I was, I was clearly wrong. Um, however, despite Ethereum now having been, had you gotten in on the pre-sale, you have done phenomenally well um, in that short term. That doesn't necessarily tell us about the very long-term uh, potential. So if your um, thesis has to do with a hyper-Bitcoinization world, um, the actual time period in which you want to hold Ethereum uh, versus Bitcoin is still not so, so certain. And the, the question we have to ask when we're thinking about these long-term investments is, well, can it be Bitcoin as money? And uh, if yes, then consider it carefully and look at you know, what its potentials are. Ethereum, for instance, I, I do not believe uh, is a good uh, you know, competitor to Bitcoin because the fundamental reason that I think that Bitcoin can succeed is as you know, Safety was explaining, it's the hardest money, it has the most you know, secure monetary policy. Well, uh, Ethereum, I still fail to even understand what its monetary policy truly is, if it even exists. And given that its uh, track record so far, it's uncertain that there's, in fact, I, I'd be very pessimistic on the idea that it would ever be able to secure that monetary policy in the sense of, you know, keeping it going. Um, it's, it's one, um, you know, uh, Dow, how hard for kind of thing to decide to turn it into an inflationary mess. So when we're looking at any of these things, we have to look at um, these coins based on their monetary policy when we're looking at the long term. So I think of multi-coining as distraction maximalism. So um, there's a gazillion uh, cryptocurrencies. The, the list just goes on and on. Back, back when I first got into Bitcoin, there was, uh, you know, there was, there was Namecoin and Litecoin, and that was about it. And then in 
2013, there was what I call the Scambrian explosion of altcoins. And since then, it just, it's a never-ending list. Um, in the past, especially the past year or so, we saw this incredible rise of ICOs um, and uh, you know, so-called app coins and utility tokens and um, all these things. Um, all of these, all of these uh, coins, whether they call themselves cryptocurrencies or they call themselves, you know, the the digital gas or oil, whatever Ethereum calls it, or or ICOs or whatever thing, because they're this scarce resource that people empirically are using as a uh, medium of exchange, um, we have to treat it as competing currencies because uh, empirically this is how we see it being used in the market. Um, and so with that, we have to think carefully about that, that uh, monetary competition. Now, given that, it's impossible to keep up with all of these altcoins. There are endless of them. I, I can't pass, I, I, I don't even know half the ones that when people come up and they'll say, you know, oh, have you heard of, you know, Chainlink? And I was like, no, I don't know what Chainlink is because it just came out yesterday and I'm not on the, you know, esoteric uh, altcoin trading boards that talk about these things. Um, so, um, it's a mistake, in my opinion, to spend your time thinking about these things if they haven't given a sort of proven reason why they could compete with Bitcoin as a global currency um, to you know, spend your time doing that when there is so much work to be done in the Bitcoin space itself. Uh, Bitcoin being a network that's existed for 10 years now, lived up to its value proposition and continues to grow um, in a positive sense in, on, on all of these dimensions. So um, when you have Tron plagiarized white papers, spending time reading those all day in the hopes of finding the right investment uh, versus focusing in on um, the, the important like education and development of Bitcoin. When it comes to my, the, the value of my, my long-term goals for you know, society and my own self-interested goals and you know, uh, becoming more wealthy or something like that, uh, focusing in is, is a much better strategy in my opinion. Being said, there are limits to hodling, and I think this is something that trips up some, some people in the community as well. There's a sort of notion of portfolio maximalism, which is that you can only be a true Bitcoin maximalist if you put every single cent of your net worth into Bitcoin, um, as opposed to uh, you know, having, having a sort of diverse basket of investments. Um, and the reality is, like I said, everyone has different values and time preferences, so we can't, we can't say that there's one true investment uh, strategy. Some people have uh, other things they want than just having a ton of Bitcoins in the future. For instance, you know, for the people who just wanted a Lambo in this whole thing, uh, the only reason they were in Bitcoin in the first place was because they wanted to get to where they can afford a Lambo. Well, once you get to the point where you can afford a Lambo, buy the Lambo and you're done. And you don't really need to be as engaged with Bitcoin anymore. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like, if you didn't want 20 of them, you only wanted one, then holding, holding a money for the purposes of getting 20 has extremely low marginal value. So, um, with this, uh, 
Uh, another important point is, you know, you want to be an investor, not a gambler. So, you know, I, I tend to think that if someone loses sleep over their Bitcoin investment, they've probably invested too much, and you shouldn't force yourself into this psychological state, which also puts you at risk for making very quick decisions about, uh, you know, panic selling and stuff like that. Um, just because you wanted to prove how much of a how much of a Bitcoin maximalist you were, um, a Bitcoin maximalist simply has that that positive economic belief that Bitcoin will take over. That doesn't necessarily mean that you also uh, personally have to be fully invested um, in Bitcoin. You can you know invest in in just uh, time and uh, land, whatever it is that you're interested in. Um, so the real important lesson of all of that is to really zero in on what do you actually want in life um, and, and focus on being able to achieve those long-term goals. So instead of uh, letting people um, trick you into thinking that you need to uh, give up Bitcoins for the purposes of some kind of altruistic thing for the network, focus in on where can this investment um, take you and figure out what the best strategy is from there and don't let people scam you out of your potential. So Bitcoin is like a, a once in history opportunity, I think. We've never had anything like this, and once Bitcoin exists, I don't think it's uh, easy to replicate. I don't think there's going to be anything like it, um, in, in the world of money at least, um, that'll ever come along. And because money is such a foundational pillar of civilization, to, uh, uh, you should not take it lightly what kind of uh, opportunity you have right now, whether it's to, to invest in Bitcoin like monetarily or just to be a part of the community and help, help it grow in understanding and um, get people interested in. Um, it's very important that you figure out what you truly value so you can make the best decisions to get those actual things um, and don't scam yourself into giving up your spot in your envisioned world just because someone else um, had, was able to get you to, to have a misunderstanding of the, the economics of the situation. So anyway, you can follow me on Twitter at Bitstein. Um, you can visit the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute at nakamotoinstitute.org. Um, there's also the Noted Bitcoin podcast, which I co-host with Pierre Rochard, and you can find that at noted.org. So uh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that session. If you want to find out more about Michael, I've recorded two interviews with him on the Crypto Cousins podcast. You may want to go to the Crypto Cousins podcast and listen to one or both of those. You can follow him on Twitter at Bitstein. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing the Bitblock Boom podcast with your friends. It'd be great if you could give the show a five-star review on iTunes or whatever app you're using for listening. The next episode of the podcast will feature Philippe Gachachia. And that's going to be another great session. Thanks for listening to this episode of the BitBlock Boom podcast. And make sure and take a look at this year's lineup at bitblockboom.com. I hope I see you at the next BitBlock Boom conference in Dallas, Texas. <laughs>